This may be my favorite resurrection story. Don't you all just love it? The two on the road to Emmaus. This is a before and after story for sure. Before I met Christ, after. The difference it has made. Brothers on the road or a couple on the road. We only know one of their names, Cleopas. This couple are a bold witness because they have the Bible story retold to them in light of Jesus, beginning with Moses and the prophets. He opens it up and gives them understanding and comprehension of words of the Old Testament, no doubt touching on Isaiah as well as other places in Genesis where it actually is foretelling one who is to come. They have the Bible story retold to them in light of Jesus and find their hearts burning with incredulous new belief when Jesus is clearly seen in the breaking of the bread. Brothers, bold witness, the Bible story, hearts burning, new belief, breaking of the bread, and he is seen. That's the end of the story. That's the after part. And their desire to pass it on to others. Anxiously, hastily, returning to Jerusalem in the dark to tell others what they have experienced on the roads. But that's not where they began that walk. That's not where the afternoon began when they were heading down from Jerusalem. And as Jesus has come alongside them and they are walking with their heads downcast and Jesus asks them about what things. And they have a key word here. They say, we had hoped that he was the one, this one who has now been crucified. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. It's a big, important Old Testament, New Testament word, redeem, pay the ransom, rescue Israel. In other words, we had hoped that God, as in former times, would deliver and preserve His chosen people by the raising up of a, an anointed one in a time of oppression and foreign occupation, in this case and now by the Romans. But no, this stranger on the road, first the stranger explains it to them, but using Scripture to explain it all, that the life and death of this man whom they knew as Jesus of Nazareth is oh so much more because our oppression and foreign occupation is by sin, not the Romans. And God's plan is to rescue, redeem all of us, Jews, Gentiles, those living in the first century, those living in the 21st century, to rescue us from this worldwide foreign occupation. Peter gets it. I know that letter there was a bit dense and concentrated, that portion of the letter we heard this morning, it may have slipped right past you. 
But Peter speaks of this profound truth that he knows and he has passed on as well. And he writes it and says it like this. It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. There's the word again, redeemed, that you were rescued from what Peter calls the empty way of life. Life lived under sin, life lived in sin, life lived with sin, the empty way of life that's been handed down to us from our ancestors. But he said, it was not with perishable things you were rescued, but with the precious blood of Christ. This is not a ransom that could be paid with, blood, uh, with silver or gold. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, without blemish or defect. And Peter says, furthermore, through that truth, through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. And if you have faith and hope and add love to that, faith, hope, and love, you've got everything you need to make it through this world, Roman occupation or not, because sin is conquered and defeated. We were in captivity, held by a power And God has rescued us from the hostile power of sin, from the empty way of life we used to live in. Christ's death, he teaches to these two on the road, is the antidote for the poison. It is the remedy for the disease of sin. He is the rescuing, redeeming, liberating, deliverer from this hostile power. No wonder there are before and after persons here. No wonder they turn around and head back up the hill to Jerusalem from Emmaus. Seven miles, they don't care. In the dark, they don't care. They just want to find the others and begin to tell the story. I love the way Kathy Jacobs has established that for grandparents, passing the legacy. You know, she's got a great vision about that, more of that later. But here we are On the road to Emmaus, let's talk about it specifically further. They're talking and discussing these things. They're having a small group. It's a small group of two. They have long forgotten that Jesus once said, I tell you, when two or three gather together in my name, there am I, present uh, among them and with them. And so he comes alongside and is not yet recognized, and he helps facilitate the conversation by asking a question. He says, what are you discussing as you walk along? Sports? Let's talk. Hunting and fishing? Let's talk. Golf? Let's talk. No, they're having a God talk. Must be a life group, small group. Having a life group, a God, I'm sorry, a God talk about life's mysteries and life's meaning. And they are asking, is there any meaning and purpose? We had hoped he was the one to rescue us. But all has been lost. Their faces downcast. Shocked that Jesus hasn't been in on the current events. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and you have not heard these things? What things? They have a very limited uh, scope of imagination here. These things about Jesus of Nazareth, 
He's not called Son of God. He's not called Messiah. He's not called the Christ by them. They don't know Him in all His fullness, yet they can say this. He was a prophet. That's a high compliment. That's good. It's just not going to be high enough. He was a prophet, and he was a good man, powerful in word and deed. We had hoped that he was the one who would rescue us from this captivity and oppression by the Romans. So it's back to the drawing board for Jesus. How foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken and beginning with Moses, who tradition ascribes the first five books of the Old Testament from Genesis to Deuteronomy, beginning with Moses and the prophets, dipping into Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Micah and all of them, he opens up the truth. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, they're transfixed, transfixed by this guest. They urge him to stay. He does stay. Another incredibly powerful image. He takes the bread at the meal. He blesses it, giving thanks. He breaks it, reminder of his own broken body, and he gives it to them. And something mysterious, unexplainable happens that in the breaking of the bread, he is seen by them. And so then we get the after of the before and after story. They got up in the dark, returned at once to Jerusalem. Evangelism is underway, passing the legacy of gospel truth. And when they get there, there are others already talking about it. Uh, they, um, Peter has seen the Lord, and they tell what happened to them on the way and how he's known to them in the breaking of the bread. The purpose statement of that passing the legacy, that grandparenting ministry that Kathy has established, we awaken a complacent generation to reach back to a wandering generation so that together we may raise the youngest generation to know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. On her website, there are those lovely biblical passages she has to give, um, to give uh, anchor to this, uh, to this ministry and this work. Psalm 78 is one of them. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done, so the next generation would know them, and they in turn would tell their children Then they would put their trust in God. And the legacy has been passed from Cleopas and the companion on the road, from Peter and the twelve, and the women who have seen the risen Lord and has been passed down for 21 generations. I want to share with you today my church family, the closing of a chapter in the Lumpkin family history. I say it's the closing of the chapter, and I'm going to tell you the end of the story before I tell you the first part of the story, because today is the day that um, I am to announce my retirement uh, from rectoring, uh, not from discipling, not from passing the legacy, not from being a follower and doing works in, the, in his vineyards, but a retirement from rectoring and being rector of St. Paul's. 
But let me give a backdrop to this, and I, I will say that I am the recipient of a family who has understood the vision of passing the legacy, and it has made all the difference in my family lines. As I told the staff earlier this week, I've been blessed. There are many who have not been blessed with stable, firmly anchored, discipling families. And they have had to find their own other families, their family of choice, uh, to find that stability. But mine was there from the beginning. William Wallace Lumpkin, a great-grandfather of mine, married Annette Caroline Morris. Both were young, passionate disciples of Christ Jesus. And they passed the legacy to their children in the family history that a cousin of mine wrote a long time ago in 1936, he writes of the birth of a child born to William Wallace and Annette Caroline, born to this young Christian couple. And he says this of that birth. It is said that at this child's birth, his mother, Annette, having passed through a tragic experience in the loss of three small daughters, from the terrible scourge of diphtheria within the short space of seven days, can you imagine, consecrated this eldest son to the ministry of the church. And so this eldest son, the one to actually survive and others after him too, Hope Henry, received this name. Hope is not a family name and was called Hope all the days of his life. She named him that hoping that he would live after these deaths of his young siblings. When Hope Henry Lumpkin became a young adult, he sought ordination and became a priest of the church, ordained in 1907 and serving until his death, an early death, in 1932. At his funeral, a person spoke in eulogy in his honor and, among other things, said this about my grandfather. There was something of the breath of the power of God in all that he said and did. Did not the words of Scripture, as he read them in our hearing, come to our hearts with new freshness and vigor? A friend of God. He walked humbly with his God, humble alike in act and word, but he walked in trust and not fear. He walked in that confidence which is the right of those who are friends of God. My grandfather, Hope Henry, dead at 50 years old from disease, but before he died, serving at Holy Communion Charleston, St. Matthew's Darlington and St. Bartholomew's Hartsville, named city missioner for the city of Charleston for two years, and then his last 17 years as a priest, serving five as a missionary in Fairbanks, Alaska, and his final 12 years at Grace Church, Madison, dying at the young age, as I said, of 50 years old. But Hope Henry and his wife Mary, passing the legacy to their four sons, all who became active in the life of the church, but the eldest, my father, Bill, seeking also ordination, grandfather dying in 1932 and 
dad picking up that banner of priesthood two years later when he graduated from seminary in 1934. And my father serving at Trinity Church Boston and Holy Communion Charleston for 12 years. And in New Zealand and the Pacific during World War II as a chaplain. Then back to Calvary Church Pittsburgh and his last 18 years at Our Savior Rock Hill. And he and my mother passing the legacy to their eight children. And so my turn came, a third priest in the Lumpkin line. I began my ordained ministry at St. Thaddeus Aiken, then 10 years at St. Christopher Spartanburg, and richest of all, 19 years at St. Paul's Somerville. And it's now time for me to lay down this mantle of authority that's given to a rector and graciously given to me by the people of St. Paul's to serve here as your rector. And it's time to retire. Effective six months from now, November 2014. But it seemed propitious and right to tell you now and not later. If it had been just couple of months before it seemed too short a time to say goodbye after 19 years if it were nine or ten months it would seem too long I think to say goodbye this seemed just about right going into the summertime and an opportunity to come back in the fall already knowing that uh, what is in the works And you know, uh, the simple answer to why retire now is really as simple as uh, it is time. It's simply time. I um, though have been reminded of the phrase, which is, is a little bit out of context from the great musical Oklahoma. Everything's up to date in Kansas City. We've gone about as far as we can go. And I confess to you, as a parish rector, I've gone about as far as I can go. <laughs> But it's been great. And uh, any deficit of earlier years has been more than made up by the credits of these later years. The privilege, the joy, the delight of serving alongside you all. And yes, I'm aware of this legacy that also comes to an end. A hundred years of priestly service from 1907 to 2014. Priestly service as parish rectors or assistant rectors that has been my family's call. There's no one waiting in the wings to take up this next. But we have lots of disciples of Christ in my family still because Cleopas and his friend went and told the others what had happened. And the others went and told others what had happened. The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. It all makes sense. And they have told others through the generations and the centuries and the ages until we come to today. And you and I, brother, sister, and brothers and sisters, have that same challenge and task and privilege to pass forward the great news. Peter got it. We've been rescued by the precious blood of the Lamb. 